Dear Lord, we thank You so much for the cup of the new covenant, for the blessing that we have received. And God, I pray this morning, if there's one who has not received that grace and forgiveness, that You would draw them by the power of Your Spirit. Lord, I pray this morning that You would open up the eyes of our hearts that we might receive from Your Word. God, I pray that You would so speak to us that, God, we would not leave the same, that we would experience transformation. So, Lord, humble us. Speak to us so that we might bring glory to You. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray all of these things. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, we'll be in the book of Ephesians chapter 6 as we continue our series and finish our series actually on spiritual warfare, spiritual warfare. Um, It was interesting. Uh, I was reading again this week, uh, and it's been in several books uh, that have been written, written in the last 10 years. It's called the broken window theory. Matter of fact, it's the theory that Uh, Giuliani and even his predecessor employed in the city of New York to try and to curb crime and to diminish the impact of crime in New York City because it had become so bad. And the theory goes like this. It is that if you have a neighborhood or you have a house, particularly one that's abandoned, but even one that maybe is not abandoned, and there's a broken window in it, if you leave it long enough, someone else will come along and break another window, and then it will just start to multiply. If there is graffiti on walls uh, that, as you pass by, if you don't uh, clean those up in a timely manner, then eventually more graffiti will show up. And pretty soon, uh, you'll start to notice that now there's trash on the ground. And if that's not cleaned up, then more trash. Pretty soon, people will just start to dump their trash in that area. So the broken window theory is this, that if you do not address the brokenness or even what seems to be the minor issue aesthetically, then it seems to just perpetuate. It seems to just uh, continue to multiply. And so, sure enough, that's what they did in the city of New York and many other areas. matter of fact, the guy who uh, came up with this theory, or at least wrote the book, is a guy named George Kelling. And now he advises police offices all over the nation, and they've employed this with, with a degree of success in many major cities. And they just found out that when you begin to address the little things, that people are not as likely to jump on board. If they don't see any broken windows, they're not as likely to take up a rock and throw it and break another window. And so that's kind of how the theory goes. What's interesting is you can see that also in the sense of our spiritual warfare, This morning we're going to talk about being equipped for battle, being equipped to withstand the wiles of Satan. And when we just let a small area of our life go, it's not long before he takes a shot at another area and another area. And we kind of open ourselves up. And before we know it, our life can kind of become a slum, so to speak, spiritually, if we don't address the little areas in our life. And Paul is certainly cognitive of this fact as he speaks and as he is sharing here 
with the church of Ephesus. As he has written this letter, he is in prison at this time. And while he is in prison, he is perhaps chained to a, a, chain to a Roman guard. And he's sitting there and he's looking at this guard and he's seeing uh, the equipment that this guard wears, the armor this, this guard wears. And it probably he probably associates it with some passages from Isaiah as well. And there's a little really bad picture uh, of a Roman guard. And, um, and he uses these as metaphors of the spiritual life and how we are to equip ourselves and prepare ourselves. We talked last week about how we stand up against the devil and how we are to be aware of Satan and his schemes. We talked about how there are three primary ways that he works. He works through distraction, getting us distracted. He works through divisions, trying to get us uh, to betray a spirit of division, even with our family or in our church or in the world of believers. And thirdly, his, his probably most prominent weapon is that of deception, deceiving people. And he does that primarily in two ways. First of all, by temptation, by tempting us into sin, by telling us it's not that big a deal, it's not that bad. Matter of fact, there are two truths of the gospel that I think it's imperative that we understand. Two truths of the gospel. The first one is, is that we are much more sinful and unrighteous than we ever imagined. We're more sinful and unrighteous than we ever care to admit. We want to think, I'm really not that bad when I compare myself to my neighbor or whoever or the guy at work or, or somebody on television or something in the paper. I'm just really not that bad. There's, uh, there's really not that much sin in my life. But the gospel clearly tells us that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That we're all sinners and we all continually fall short of the glory of God. So the first lie is for you to believe and he tempts you to say, it's not that big a deal. It's not really sin and it's no big deal. Everybody's doing it. You can handle it. You can overcome it. Just try it this one time. Just don't even think about it. The second truth of the gospel is this, though. That's the negative. The second truth of the gospel is this, is that you are much more loved and accepted by God than you ever hoped or even imagined. You're much more loved and accepted by God than you ever hoped or imagined. That's the second principle. So the first one is where Satan goes after us with temptation. To tempt us and to say, you're not that bad, it's not that big a deal. The second one is after you've fallen. It's kind of like that one-two punch. You know, if you're a boxer, you kind of set up the punch. And if you're right-handed, maybe you'll set it up with a left hand and then you come back with a right hand. That's kind of what Satan's doing here. He hits us with that left hand by telling us it's not that big a deal. And then after we've fallen, he comes in and he accuses and he goes, See? See what you did? I don't know why you call yourself a Christian or... You know what? You just need to straighten your life up. You just need to stay out of church and just pull back for a while because you don't really fit. You're, you're not like those people, I tell you that. And he begins to accuse you. So it's the temptation and then the accusation. As a matter of fact, the word Satan literally means accuser. That's what it literally means. One who prosecutes. So that's his goal and his objective is to bring you down to where you are at best neutral and even at worst um, you are a detriment to the kingdom of God. So with that understanding, let's look 
real briefly at your bulletin, and these are notes that you can just take with us. We, we looked last week at the instruction that God has given us through the Apostle Paul here in the book of Ephesians. We shared how we are to be strong, to be prepared, to stand firm, and to pray. We recognize that we have an enemy who is against us. As a matter of fact, the Bible clearly gives us the understanding that there is evil, so to speak, or sin that is within us, that we're tempted in our own sin nature. Number two, there's evil around us, so to speak, or evil beside us. Uh, We know that as we open up the newspaper, as we watch the nightly news. There's certainly sin around us, but there's also sin all around us, above us and below us, in the spiritual realm, that there are things going on spiritually that we talked about that we don't see or hear, but we know from Scripture that there is a spiritual battle going on for our lives and for the lives of our families and the spirit of our families and those whom God has entrusted into us. So here in the Scriptures we will see the armor that Paul encourages us to put on. Now before we read that, I want to give you a couple of passages from the Old Testament that Paul might have been making reference to. In Isaiah 11:5, the Bible tells us that righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. In Isaiah 59:17, he put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. In Isaiah 52:7, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news and who proclaim peace and who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. In Isaiah 49, 2, he made my mouth like a sharpened sword in the shadow of his hand. He hid me. So Paul will now use these uh, battle metaphors here in Scripture. Now let's read it together. Let's look at this together for just a moment, beginning in verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground after you have done everything to stand. Okay? Stand firm then with the belt of truth around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all that, take up the shield of faith which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, David Mitchell, who is one of our men who just got back from Afghanistan, matter of fact, he was in here in the last service, he, uh, he, he gave me some of this equipment that he had. And uh, the first of all is a belt that is used. And obviously, uh, this is used in military personnel, partially to keep their pants up, uh, but also... Uh, they also his his gun would go here. It also has multiple purposes. But the scripture here tells us that we are to put on the belt of truth, the belt of truth. And when you see that word truth there, certainly it's it's the word of God, but it's much uh, more uh, really comprehensive or or really uh, a broader picture than that. It has to do with the integrity of our commitment, the integrity of our faith, the integrity of our life. So we are to put on the truth. In other words, what God is saying here through His Word is, um, look, you don't have to worry about, if, if you will be truthful to me, 
if you will be honest and conduct your life in a spirit of integrity, you can know that I am working in and through you. It doesn't mean that you will get everything you want or everything will go the way that you want, but you can know that I work through the spirit of truth. So it is imperative that we be people of integrity, that we be people who are honest, people who have allowed God to renew our minds. You know, a good example of the opposite of this is Jacob. Remember Jacob in the Old Testament? We studied this about a year ago. Jacob lies to his father in order that he might receive his brother's blessing. And he is successful of of lying and being deceitful. But oh, what a price he'll pay. He loses his home and all that he thought he had accomplished, all he thought that he had so-called won, and he has to run for his life. And then he gets to a foreign land where his uncle Laban is, and then his uncle, so to speak, deceives him. It's because he didn't put on the belt of truth. He didn't operate in integrity. And Paul starts off saying, let it be known of you that you are men and women of integrity. Put that belt upon you. Don't worry about how, how it's going to affect you or what cost it may have. Live in a spirit of truth. Number two, he talks about putting on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, this is a flak jacket right here, and it's primarily meant for the purposes of when shrapnel flies, when debris flies, that it will protect your vital organs, particularly that of the heart and, and the surrounding area. And that's the purpose in war that this is worn. And Paul talks here in Scripture about the importance of putting on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, what's the antithesis of the breastplate of righteousness? Remember the story of King David? How when King David's armies went off to war, and he stayed back at home, and then in the cool of the evening, the Bible says one day, he looked out from his house and he saw a woman bathing. Now, the breastplate of righteousness would be It's basically that of sanctification of holiness, that I am going to abstain and I'm going to uh, run or get away from anything that tempts me. I'm going to put a breastplate, so to speak. I'm going to put space. I'm going to put the truth of God's Word, my commitment, my spirit of integrity. I'm going to shy away. I'm going to get away from anything that would tempt me or anything that would cause me to sin. But what does David do? He doesn't call upon his breastplate of righteousness. He wasn't prepared that day for the temptation before him. So he begins to look, and he begins to stare, and he begins to imagine, and then he invites. And then the sin takes place. And we know that uh, certainly uh, Uriah dies, and then David's child that he has from that relationship dies. It causes immense pain and suffering because he fell to the temptation. I'm sure Satan said, it's not that big a deal. Just look for a little while. Just look for a little while. And so many times in our lives, here's how it kind of starts, that process of temptation. We go, you know, I don't see what the big deal is. And it seems like I don't really get enough breaks in life. It seems like things don't go my way. It seems like I ought to have more. Look at what my neighbor has or look at what my brother has or whatever the scenario is. And we start to think that self-pity I don't have what I want, or I don't have what I need, or I I wish things were this way for me. And we start into that pattern of self-pity. And maybe David was thinking something of that nature of, of, um, you know, my wife hasn't been like I wish she would be, or 
any of them for that matter. And, and he's, he's going down that path. And, you know, I, I feel like I'm the king and I feel like I deserve more. And then number two, the next step is generally this. Well, you know what? I can handle this. I'll just look. I'll just entertain the thought process. I'll just consider it. I'll just think about it for a moment. And then number three is usually, okay, I'm just going to do it once. And that's where David finds himself. The Bible says to put on the breastplate of righteousness. And when we go that road of what I deserve, that self-pity, that kind of self, uh, self-absorption mentality, we're on the way. Satan has already entered in in a spirit of temptation. The Bible says that we are to guard our hearts and mind in holiness. And David was the antithesis, but God gives us the opportunity and the picture of what it means to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Then he talks about the shoes of peace. He says literally right here in verse 15, and with your feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Uh, We read earlier from Isaiah, uh, kind of the picture of how beautiful are the feet of those who spread good news, who share the good news of the hope of our God. I believe this picture right here is our shoes, our boots, that uh, are just a standard issued element of warfare, the importance of boots. We know if you were fighting in the desert like he was in Afghanistan, sandals wouldn't work, uh, and your socks wouldn't work, certain tennis shoes wouldn't work. Boots that are ready to go. You're ready to march. You're ready to go. You're ready when called upon uh, for action. For us, the gospel of grace, the shoes of peace, to give an account of the hope that is within us, the good news of Jesus Christ, that the gospel who says the Bible that tells us that, yes, we're more sinful than we ever imagined, but God loves us and desires to be in relationship to grant grace and forgiveness than we ever could have imagined. That's the good news of the Gospel. And ready to share it as God provides opportunity as we walk throughout our lives. Then we see the shield of faith. The shield of faith. Now, that was for shrapnel. The strap jacket was for just random things that would fly at you that you weren't prepared for. But this is for a bullet. I mean, this is what they put inside uh, their strap jacket, their black jacket there. And if a bullet hits this, this is Kevlon, uh, then it may shatter this, but it won't go through it. At least not the first couple anyway. And it's a picture of a shield that that the uh, the serious things in life that will attack you Your faith must be ready and must be prepared to stand. There are going to be serious questions that come at you. There are going to be serious events in life that will occur. But the shield of faith, our basic trust and faith in God, our confidence in the power of Christ, it's more than simply what we might call historical faith. That I know these things happened and and I grew up maybe believing the stories of Scripture. And I believe those stories are true. It's also more than temporary faith. That it's going to take place and God's going to help me temporarily in this situation. It's what we call commitment faith. Commitment faith. You know, the children of Israel are a great example of that, aren't they? I mean, they're getting ready to leave Egypt. God has delivered them. And the miracle happens and they go, oh, thank you, God. And they temporarily believe. They believe in the history of God. But 
Then on a continual daily basis, they, they can't go back to their faith and fully believe that God, no matter what, is working. That He's working in and through the circumstances. That He ultimately will provide. That's what it means to put on the shield of faith. Knowing and having confidence that God will work in and through all circumstances. And then the helmet of salvation. A helmet. We have all seen this multiple times. If you've ever seen a battle scene, you'll see someone with a helmet on and they'll be shrinking down. Sometimes they'll even grab their helmet. Because the helmet of salvation is your ultimate hope. We believe that Christ, through His sacrifice and through His grace and forgiveness, and by our act of faith, ultimately gives us salvation. Regardless of what will happen here on the earth, regardless of what happens in my life, ultimately my hope is in Him. And that for eternity, salvation is provided through Jesus Christ our Lord. I can go back to that hope. I can go back to that confidence. I can go back to that understanding. Remember when Elijah, we talked about a few weeks ago, went through the experience where the miracles happened and all the events occurred, but then things didn't turn out like he thought. And he just said, God, I just want to die. I'm done. Kind of his helmet of salvation kind of fell off for a moment, didn't it? Sometimes maybe your helmet of salvation will fall off. But here's what we can know. We can know that God loves us and that God is at work, that God is much more concerned about us and much more involved in our lives than we ever hoped or imagined. And then finally, the sword of the Spirit. This is a government-issued knife. I started to put a gun in that belt, but I thought some of you would get wigged out and um, just not be able to get over it. So, uh, of course, that's what they primarily use today. Is we don't run around with guns today too much in, in the warfare. But in that time, certainly in Paul's time, that certainly was the primary uh, method or instrument uh, of attack. It was, matter of fact, not just a defensive, but an offensive. Matter of fact, if you go back and look in the Hebrew, the word sword uh, is also the word for war in the Old Testament. So, the sword of truth. What's interesting right here... In the New Testament, typically, it's speaking of the Word of God. Typically, uh, you see the word logos, okay? Logos is almost uh, extensive. It's, it's the most common term that we will see for the Word of God. Logos, and it means the entire Word of God. But that word's not used right here. Even though probably 90% of the time the word logos is used, the word rhema is used right here. And rhema has the connotation of specific Scripture, specific Doctrine. In other words, this is something that is specific to your need, to your situation. So one of the things it tells us is the importance of understanding doctrine, quite frankly. The major truths of our faith. By Incidentally, we're going to be teaching again this summer. We teach it every year. But do you understand the basic principles of your faith? Do you, are there scriptures that you have memorized and understood that you can use to attack Satan when he comes at you or to defend yourselves. Let's take a couple of examples here. Um, Judas certainly would be one example of how it's done incorrectly. Jesus in Matthew 4, as Satan comes against him, would be a perfect example of what you should do, how he used Scripture to refute Satan. So what about you? Maybe God, Satan comes and attacks you in one of those two ways that we talked about, and he becomes and he accuses you. Maybe you've been tempted by sin. Maybe you've uh, if you're like all of us, you've succumbed to sin at one time. And he comes and he begins to attack your faith. 
And he says, you know what? This is not working for you. God can't forgive you. You're just too far and you're not going to be able to forgive. But what, what can we, we do? We can go back to our basic understanding of salvation, our understanding of God's sovereignty, and we can go back to Romans 6.23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the God, but the wages of sin is death, excuse me, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Yeah, the wages of sin is death, but I have been given eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I, God, how can you ever forgive me? And I go to 1 John 1.9, and I say, if we confess our sins, He is faithful to just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That I can be forgiven when I confess my sin before God Almighty. When we hear these, uh, when we hear these lies and we hear these uh, sayings that people come and bring to us and say, well, you know, Jesus didn't really say that He was the only way. Jesus didn't really say that He was the method of salvation. You know, he was just a good man. We can refute that with good doctrine from John 14.6. I am the truth, the life, and the way. No man comes to the Father but through Me. Through Rhema. Through the Scripture. Through the Word of the Lord. Now, I want to conclude this sermon with some application points. Paul did not try to give a comprehensive or exhaustive list of all the things that we could ever do, but how do we make that practical today? And I just want to give you a lot of different ways that you can employ to put on the armor of Christ each day. So let me just give you a list of things that you can employ. Uh, first of all, meditate on Scripture. This is different than just doing our four-minute, I read the chapter and I'm done kind of thing, okay? This is allowing your mind to be bathed in Scripture. When you sit down to read Scripture and you let it penetrate your heart, you really think about it and you kind of seek to um, absolve it, so to speak, uh, or absorb it, excuse me, not absolve, to absorb Scripture into our minds and into our spirits. Memorizing Scripture. Memorizing Scripture. Simply having a time where you sit, out, you sit apart to say, there's some basic passage of Scripture and some basic things about the Bible that I want to memorize, that I can use when these attacks come against me. Another one is quiet time. Having a time where you're just quiet before God, where God can speak to you. And, and I know we've had this conversation before. You know, I've got young ch children. I, I get the whole quiet thing. But sometimes that means getting up early. Sometimes that means staying up late. Sometimes that means the car or whatever it is that you have to do to have a few minutes where you can be silent before God, where you can pour your heart out to Him and you can just listen and receive from Him. Study your faith. Study your faith. You know, there are some basic elements of the faith. By the way, we have them listed on the website if you want to go pull them off that every Christian ought to know. If you're a believer and you've been a believer for more than six weeks, you ought to know what those are. And they're on the website. As a matter of fact, we're going to, again, we're going to be teaching them again this summer. Uh, they're just important. That's where a lot of attacks come from when we don't have a basic set of armor upon uh, our spirits, when we don't have the basic structure set up where we understand what it is that we believe as Christians. Um, expressing thanksgiving, being thankful and grateful. Remember we talked about how Satan comes in when we get into that, you know, well, you know, things had not worked out for me, or I don't have this, or I don't have that. But, you know, the opposite of that is being grateful and thankful. Worship and praise. One of the reasons we come here on Sunday is to worship and praise. And it's also one of the things that we should be doing in our daily lives, just giving God worship 
and praise for who He is. Sharing of our faith, of the, the good news of what Christ has done for us. You know, last week we, um, uh, we had baptism. As a matter of fact, the last couple of weeks we've had folks that were baptized. And as they shared of the good news of what Christ has done in their lives, that's a picture of making ourselves ready and to give an account of the hope that is within us. Giving, the importance of giving. When we give, it helps us to defeat the flesh and feed the Spirit. Sacrifice. When we come to that place where we'll say, you know what, I'm going to let something go for the betterment of someone else or the betterment of the kingdom of God. Uh, let me give you an illustration. A couple of weeks ago, this is one that, that, is, that is hard for me. When I say sacrifice, it's probably too big of a word, but I'm just using that so we all understand what it is. But I, I was working out a few weeks ago, and <clears throat> when I get there, I find for me that if I can watch ESPN, I can go on that treadmill a whole lot longer than if I just stand there. I mean, if not, I'm like five minutes. Has it been an hour yet? You know what I mean? And I'm just like ready to get out of here. But if I can be watching a good game or some good highlights, I mean, I'm ready to go. This, this is good for me. Well, I get there, and I'm, I get there a little early, and, you know, and everything, everybody's using those, and they've got the channel changer. And so I say, okay, I'm going to go do some other workouts, and I'm going to stretch and do all those things. And sure enough, one of the machines opened up right in front of the TV. There's the, the deal. The guy gives it to me, and so I'm set. i got my headphones in. I'm watching. I'm going to get my workout here. No kids, uh, no distractions. Uh, this is, you know, this will be good. You know, I haven't watched ESPN all week. And so this is, this is good stuff. I'm ready to go. I'm starting to go. And about this time, this lady comes up, and she wants to watch the other TV, and she can't make the thing work. And at this time, there's some highlights of a game on. And on her screen, there's some dumb game over there that I don't care anything about. It's like Oklahoma and A&M or somebody playing back. I don't even care. I could care less about that. I'm watching the highlights, the drafts coming up, who the Cowboys are going to take, what happened with the Saints over there, you know, just baseball, all the stuff's coming up, and then the game over there, I don't care. I think it was like from 1972. Who cares? You know, but what she sees is game, game. They must be the same. So you're a man. She goes, I noticed the game's over here. Could you watch that one and I watch this one? I don't even tell you what I was thinking. I was thinking... What are you going to watch? Lifetime? I mean, give me a break. That's not workout stuff. I've been waiting here. Do you not get it? And I thought, all right, Holton, here's an opportunity for you to give up something you think you deserve and have earned by waiting a couple of minutes. I go, okay, thank you. Oh, sure. Here it is. And sure enough, she turns it to Lifetime. you got to give me a break. And I'm trying to catch this game I don't give a rip about that happened 20 years ago out of my corner of my eye. And then finally I just give up and I'm watching Lifetime. <laughs> you know. And, I, you know, and I gave it to her because I thought, you know what, I need, to, I need to sacrifice my life. I mean, this is a way for me to starve my flesh and feed my spirit. And I also had a Rock Point t-shirt on. But nevertheless, <laughs> just thought it was a good opportunity to do that at that time. Another way that we can put on our armor is through serving. Serving. And next week, can I say this? I'm just going to make a real bold statement. If you, are, if you are physically able to, everybody in this room ought to serve somewhere next week. I, I, it's great if you can come to this service next week, but I would rather you go and serve, even if it means missing. We're only doing one worship service because most of our people are going to be serving out in the community. We have the 830, the 1030, the 1230. You need to take your family and go serve. There are 18 different opportunities. This, this one over here is primarily just for adults. That one's primarily families. And then there's some on the other side of that door. This last day to sign up. Uh, 
if you're serious about your faith, serious about what the church should be, then you need to be employed next Sunday. And we're making it as easy as it could ever be. We're saying, Sunday morning, you're coming to church anyway, let's go make an impact in the community. Let's go serve for the kingdom's sake and for the reputation of God Almighty. Serving. Be accountable to others. Be accountable to people. So many times we find ourselves stuck in sin and we're not willing to be accountable, to have people pray over us, to have people minister to us, to ask us the hard questions. Uh, Pray God's blessings on others. Stay up or read your core convictions. Decide what your core convictions of faith are and, and read those. Express your hope and confidence in God Almighty. Share of how God has worked and blessed in your life. And then here's another one. Remember the consequences of sin. If, I'm gonna, if I fall into sin, what are the consequences of that? What is it going to cost me? You know, one of the ways we can do that is by picturing what could actually happen if we continue down this road? I think if David would have really pictured what the consequences would have been, he wouldn't have done that. But we're wrapped up in a world that, in media that makes everything look a lot better than it is. Look, if you drink this, you'll be happy. If you eat this, it'll make you happy. They never show you the picture of the person over there who's having a heart attack and grabbing his chest and throwing up because he ate three Whoppers. You know what I mean? We, we never see that. I mean, if they showed us that picture, then it would change our mindset a little bit. You know, when the doctor says you need to start eating healthy, if we could see that picture, it would change us. And that's what the picture, we need to look at what the picture could be like if we go down that road. And lastly, confess our sin. Just have a time each day where you confess your sin before God. It's scriptural. It's what God is asking us to do. You know, last week, I mentioned we had baptism, and one of the one of the gentlemen that was baptized, I asked him about his story beforehand and I said, share with me about how you came to this place. And he said, well, he said, you know, I was just seeking. I, I, I knew that I needed to connect with God. I, I knew that I needed to experience God and come into a full relationship with Him. And, and I'd come to church here for a little bit. And one day you said, "Would you? Just, I just want to invite people to pray who have a need, people who are either seeking God or have some kind of need in their life. And then we all just, uh, many people just silently prayed. Some put a hand on him, and nobody said a word. And he said, it was after that that I knew God was speaking to me, that I knew God was real, knew that Christ was calling me. And that was the day I committed. As people prayed for me, the power of prayer. Let me end with this passage right here, the last verse of our chapter, of chapter 6, verse 18 of our passage today. He said, pray in the Spirit. On all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. What about you this day? Are you putting on the full armor of God? Are you preparing yourself? Today, I believe God wants to to move and speak today. And so this this is what I'm going to do in just a moment. I'm going to invite you to stand if you need prayer. I don't care if that's financially, emotionally, maritally, physically, spiritually, you just say, I, I need prayer today. We're not going to say anything. We're just going to pray in silence. I want to invite you in just a moment to just do that. Yeah, that's a pretty bold move. I get that. But can I tell you this? For God to work in your life, you're going to have to take a step into the battle. It's not going to happen by retreating. It's going to take a step toward Him. You see, we're either walking toward Him or we're walking away from Him. question is, what step are you willing to take? Let's pray for just a moment. 
if you would, as you're in a spirit of prayer, if you would say, I need prayer. I just need you to pray over me today. I just need for God to speak to me and to touch me today. I want to invite you uh, at this time to just stand wherever you are. You don't have to say or do anything. Just stand. And if there's someone behind you or beside you or in front of you who's standing, would you just reach up and just put a hand on them? You don't need to say anything. Just put a hand upon them at this time. And let's just pray. Father, thank You so much that You are a good and gracious God. And that, Lord, You desire to work in and through Your people. And God, I know that I have brothers and sisters here today who are dealing with physical elements that are consuming their lives. God, there are those here that emotionally life has just become so hard, it's hard to just get up and go in the day. Some feel, Lord, spiritually that they are so detached from You that they no longer sense Your presence, much less Your power. Today, God, I pray through the prayers of Your people that You would minister grace to them, that You would touch them, that You would speak to their very souls. God, if there's one who has not trusted You today, I pray that they would transfer their trust from trying to work this out on their own to what You have done upon the cross and ask You to come in their lives and forgive them and become their Savior. God, You know what the need is. You know what the situation is. And we believe that greater is He that's in us than He that's in the world. Lord, we believe that You meet all our needs according to Your riches and glory through Christ Jesus So, Lord, we confess You as Lord today. We recognize You as the healer and the protector and the mender of our broken hearts. Lord, we recognize that, Lord, You can work in and through our relationships. God, I know that You can save us. And so, Lord, we call upon Your name today to rescue, to save, to repair, to reunite, to heal. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, we pray these promises upon those who have tested you by standing, who have stood in faith and said, God, I need you. And I pray, Lord, that this would be the first step and that they would take the next step by allowing us to minister to them on a continual basis. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.